It's been a good day. I'd like to start this sermon with a, with a word of prayer, if you don't mind. Our most kind and most loving Heavenly Father, we come to you once again, Lord, amening what was uh, said by your son, Danny Thompson, Lord, and, and just letting you know, Lord, that we love you so much and we praise you so much for the, for the good things that are happening here at Fountainhead. We recognize you as the author of our salvation, and we know, Lord, that if we do things your way, if we put you first, that you'll give us everything we need. And we thank you so much for that, Lord. There are those uh, in our congregation who, whose minds are open and whose hearts are soft, Lord, and they're, they're ready to accept some challenges, and they're ready to uh, obey your will. And we thank you so much for that, Lord. Continue to give them the strength. Keep the evil one away from them. In the name of your Son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. In the Clint Eastwood movie, High Plains Drifter, his character just appears out of nowhere. Just fades into the picture, if you remember this scene from that movie. When I finished studying about the Old Testament prophet Elijah this week, I thought of the same scene. Because if you turn your Bibles to uh, chapter 17 of 1 Kings, Elijah just appears. He just appears out of nowhere, it seems like. These few Sunday nights till Bible Bowl, I want to bring you lessons from Elijah. As New Testament Christians, we can learn a lot from Elijah and his, his relationship with God. Next week, we'll look at prayer, the prayers of Elijah, and then our prayer life as Christians. We'll look at a life of pessimism. Elijah was caught up in a life of pessimism. And sometimes we get that way too. So we're going to look at a life of pessimism the next week. And then we're going to see some payback. (laughs) But tonight, tonight, I want to use Elijah to tell how the providence of God works in our lives. It's said that a picture is worth a thousand words. And we see the perfect picture of providence in the life of Elijah. We could go straight to the definition of providence, but I'd rather show you from the Scriptures what providence means. Again, Elijah is an early Old Testament prophet. He, along with Nathan or Elisha, they're what's called the bookless prophet, bookless prophets. You know, Isaiah, he had his own book. He was a prophet. Uh, Jeremiah, he was a prophet. He had his own book. But Elijah, a great prophet, but he doesn't have his, his own book. Elijah, as I've said, is unknown before 1 Kings chapter 17 and verse 1. We learn from this verse much of what we know about him. He's a Tishbite. It's a town to be reported in the region of Gilead, but no one really knows exactly where that is anymore. It can't be found by archaeologists so far. His birth is not mentioned. His parents, they're not mentioned. Elijah just appears. He's he's a lone wolf. He's a a hairy guy. He has this leather belt on. In fact, many thought that he was, that John the baptizer, with his clothes of camel hair, eating wild locusts, that he was Elijah reborn. 
the prophet Malachi. In Malachi chapter 4, verse 5, he prophesies about Elijah that he's going to be the proclaimer. He's going to be the forerunner of the Messiah. And his prophecy is fulfilled in the, in the ministry of John the baptizer. I don't have this on the handout sheet that I gave you, but if you look at Luke chapter 1, verse 17, Elizabeth, Elizabeth John, John the Baptist's mother, she was told before he was born, he will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. That, uh, John the baptizer, he was compared to Elijah. In his look, his demeanor, in the way that he talked, in the way that he preached. Elijah's appearance on the scene is the, is the epitome of providence. Just his appearance. Like George Washington or, or Abraham Lincoln, he was the right man for the right time. And we'll see God take care of him over and over. Look with me, if you will, at 1 Kings chapter 17, beginning with verse 1. And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. Ahab is the king in Israel. The country was split almost 40 years before Ahab became king. It was not Ahab's fault that the kingdom split, but he was considered the worst of the worst. All the kings before him were bad, but Ahab was worse than they were. He was an awful person. He's a Baal-worshipping, God-hating, psychopathic opportunist, a coward and a liar, a man ruled over by his wife Jezebel. And I'm sure he is not used to being talked to like Elijah talks to him in the very first verse of chapter 17. Verse 2. The word of the Lord came to him, that be Elijah, saying, Get away from here, turn eastward, and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. Elijah, as commanded by God, he goes to Cherith Creek, is the way we call it. It says brook Cherith here. We call it Cherith Creek. And what will we have for breakfast and supper at Cherith Creek? We're going to have Creek water and black and blackbird scroungings. That's what we're going to have for supper, Elijah. Creek water and blackbird scroungings. Because what's told, verse 4, And it will be that you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and stayed by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the book, brook. God was providing for Elijah. God was caring for Elijah. God had the foresight to make sure that Elijah was okay and safe and provided for. God had more for Elijah to do. Verse 7, And it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. God had the foresight to make sure that when nature ran its course, and you know what happens when, when it doesn't rain after a while. We've, we've known the, the grass gets dry, the, the creeks get low. 
don't they? Well, the, the brook Cherith, it just dried up. No more water. And God had the foresight to make sure that when the water dried up, Elijah was going to be taken care of. And God promises, God promises that Elijah will be taken care of. And, and God's provisions for Elijah spilled over into the lives of the others who were around the man of God. Elijah went where God told him. He met a widow. He asked for water and he asked for food from this widow. She tells him her story of woe. So many in this world have a story of woe, don't they? I could probably ask every one of you in here, even the most, most happy person, and you could tell me a, a story of woe. Something happened in your life. Something's going to happen in your life. Something's happening now, right? This woman had a story of woe. She only had a little bit of oil. She only had a handful of flour. And she was about to fix that cake for her boy and her. And then they were going to lay down and die. That was her future. That was her lot. She knew that was what was going to happen. And Elijah says, no, honey, you go on. And he didn't say, honey, you go on and fix that for me and you will never run out of oil. You'll never run out of flour. Until the Lord makes it rain. And what she did it. She, they ate and they ate. For many days they, they ate from this jar of oil and this container of flour. She always had what she needed to make as many cakes as they wanted. It was a miracle. It's a miracle of God. God had regard for His children. God had the foresight. God provided for Elijah and all those around Elijah. God was respected because Elijah was respected. This woman knew who God was because this was Elijah's God. And Elijah's God was taking care of them. And she knew that. Still, she doesn't understand God. And she doesn't understand His providence. She doesn't understand that God gave her Elijah for such a time as this. Because notice, verse 17, Now it happened after these things that the son of the woman who owned the house became sick. His sickness was so serious, there was no breath left in him. So she said to Elijah, What have I to do with you, O man of God? Have you come to bring, have you come to bring my sin to remembrance and to kill my son? He said, give me your son. So he took him out of her arms and carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his own bed. Can you see it, moms and dads? Can you see it, aunts and uncles, grandmas and granddads? Can you see the man of God carrying your son or your daughter up the steps? They're dead. You know they're dead. You know there's nothing you can do with the dead. Then he cried out to the Lord, verse 20, and said, O oh Lord my God, have you also brought tragedy on the widow with whom I lodge by killing her son? And he stretched himself out on the child three times and cried out to the Lord and said, O oh Lord my God, I pray, let this child's soul come back to him. Then the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came back to him, and he revived. We're told in Hebrews that it's once to die and then the judgment, unless God deems it otherwise. And God deemed it otherwise here. 
And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper room into the house and gave him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. Then the woman, notice what she says, Then the woman said to Elijah, Now by this I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is the truth. Isn't it wonderful when we understand the truth? Amen? God in His providence, He had a road map for Elijah. He had respect for the widow and He had regard for her son. Everyone had what they needed. And God was glorified. Do you see the picture of providence? Do you see the picture? Sometimes, let me move on, sometimes a picture is made into a puzzle. And when we put it together, it's a little bit easier to see. The original New Testament uses the word for our word providence. It uses it five times. Five times. Look at Romans chapter 12, verse 17. It's in your handout. Uh, or you can turn to that in your, in, your, in, your, in your Bible. Romans chapter 12, verse 17. I'm reading from the New King James Version of the Bible. It says, Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard. And I underlined that in your, in, in your handout. Have regard. That's the word where we get providence. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. To have regard is the first piece of our, of our puzzle, our providence puzzle. To provide, to do, to respect someone or, or something enough to provide for them. Next, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 21. Verse 21, providing honorable things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. That, that same word, it's the same word that was used in Romans 12, it's the same word that's used here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Paul's speaking to the Corinthians about giving. When we provide things for others, notice it should be something honorable. Notice 1 Timothy 5, verse 8. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially those for, of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. The same word. The word in, in 1 Timothy 5, verse 8 is the word provide, providing, have regard for. Same word to care for. We must care for. We must provide for. Have regard for. Respect for our family. Enough to make sure they've got what they need. Romans chapter 13, verse 14. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Now, here provision is used in a negative way. But thinking neutrally, just think neutral just for a minute in the way that the word is used. Provision means to think about, to, to make plans for. And here it's used in a negative way because the focus is sin in this verse. We are to make no provision for sin. We're, not, we're to make no plans to lust. We don't even think like the flesh, you see. But on the opposite, we are to make provision for spiritual things. We are to make provisions and plans for good things. We are to think about lovely things, you see. The word is used in Acts 24. And it's translated providence here or foresight in, in some translations. Look at Acts 24, verse 2. And when he was called upon, Tertullus began his accusation saying, Seeing that through you we enjoy great peace and prosperity is being brought to this nation by your foresight. So when we, we talk about the providence of God, 
we, we answer many questions. We talk about His foresight. We talk about His providence. And we make clear many puzzles. Yes, God provides for us. Yes, God cares for us. Yes, God respects us. He, he, he respects His creation. He thinks about us. He makes plans for us because God is honorable and has the foresight to see what we need. The devil's in the details, but providence is in the particulars. Notice the particulars about, about God's providence in Elijah's life and, and in our lives today. Notice Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Now, now notice how God protects us. That's one of the particulars of, of providence. God protects us. He loves us. So all things work out for the benefit of those who are Christians. Okay? Romans chapter 8, verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or, or persecution or famine or, or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in our Lord Jesus Christ. God in his foresight, he made plans for us. That when we obeyed Him, our salvation could never be taken away from us. It can only be given away by us. Let me tell you, say that again. Our salvation can never be taken away from us. It can only be given away by us. Hebrews 11, verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer the affliction suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. Like Moses, God in his providence, he gave us free will. That's part of the particulars of, of God's providence, that he gave us free will. He gave us the choice. We could want him or we could reject him. That's the kind of God we serve who loves us and wants us and loves us enough, though, to let us go if we don't love Him back. Look at Philemon 15. Paul tells Philemon, For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever. He's talking about Onesimus. Onesimus was the slave of Philemon. And Onesimus had run off. But Paul was sending him back. And he left, Paul says, maybe so that Philemon would realize that he no longer has a slave, but he has a brother. We don't always know. We, can all, we can't always see why things happen the way they do. We must have faith. Because it says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, The Lord is not slack. Concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Why is God waiting? Why is he waiting? That folks will go to hell is not what God wants. 
God doesn't want that. God doesn't want people to go to hell. It's the reason why He gave His Son. He provided salvation for us. You see God's promise? He provided salvation so that we don't have to perish. It's God, 1 Timothy 2, verse 4, who desires all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. God has provided that truth. So, look at the products of providence. The products of providence. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and verse 8, God is able... To make all grace abound towards you, that you always have all, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. Did you see that? Notice, God in His providence will make sure that we have what we need when we need it to do His will. We may not get everything we want. We don't get the big house and the pool and the Mercedes and the this and the that and the things. Do we really need them? But when our friend needs us, we'll have the strength to help. When our brother in Christ or our sister in Christ has fallen by the wayside, he'll give us the strength to be able to help them out of it. When, when someone we know is struggling with just life... He's given us the answer to life. He'll make sure that we've got the right answers for our friends and our family and for ourselves. God and His providence will make sure that we have what we need when we need it to do His will. In Elijah's life, it took reliance on God and faith in His provider. So it is in our lives. Look at in our picture of Elijah, we must remember Romans 5, verse 6. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. God has and still will provide for us. Jesus Christ died for those who've already died. He, those, he died for those of us in this room and all those out in the world today. And he's, He died for all those who are about to come. It's my hope that we as Christians feel safer knowing that God is in control and that God will provide. If this picture of providence, if if it looks good to you, helps put together the puzzle of your life, obey the particulars. Believe and be baptized today and you'll be a product of what the Lord can and will do. Come right now as together we stand and sing.